strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with us. A lot of talk as the governor made an announcement a while ago about having a summer camp program for students to catch up because COVID-19 has caused a lot of our school-age children or our, you know, our um, elementary, middle school, and high school-age children to fall behind. So the person that has been chosen to head up this program is Lisa Graham-Keegan. She was once the superintendent of public instruction here in Arizona, former state legislator. She joins us now. Um, let's start off with what will this program look like? Who, who will be the organization's that will be hosting these kids. Hey, Mike, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, let's let's do talk about the governor's program. So the organizations that will be hosting the kids are public schools, youth groups that are familiar to you. We have some businesses coming to us and offering internships for high schoolers. It's really been gratifying. I have to say, Mike, the responsiveness to this and all all of our public schools that are, we're now open for application for schools, youth groups, and anybody else to come up that wants to offer something for students this summer um, academically, plus an adventure component, something really engaging and fun in partnership with the schools. Um, uh, and schools are used to doing this kind of camp in the summer, so we're so gratified that the governor has said, look, let's really try to amp this up and serve more kids than we ever have. He's sees the magic in this moment. There's a lot of potential right now, and you know, if we could speak to parents, Mike, it's just now's not the time to leave your kids out of school again for weeks and months. Let's get in these camps and, and re-engage them in a really uh, energizing experience. How has it been received by educators? Have you had a lot of teachers sign up to be a part of this and teach in these programs? Um, yes, we've had a lot of programs. So, Mike, the way that we do it is that we are asking the schools themselves to apply with the program. Um, any public school uh, that's graded A, B, or C, and if a school has is lagging and working to get their grades up, we're just asking them to partner with somebody that can help them really offer a great camp. And we've had a huge response. I tell you, we opened up last Monday, so it hasn't been two weeks yet, Mike. Um, we already have applications for 629 camps that would serve about 58,000 students. This is very fast. We thought in the first weeks or so people would just be learning about it but so i'm so grateful that we can talk about it um we'd like to you know we'd like to serve hundreds of thousands of kids we'd really really like to max this program out and our schools are telling us that they're having a much bigger um, enthusiasm for teachers to come back this summer that's not really surprising i mean it's been scary up to now that's the magic of now right we can be back together in person and feel safe and not afraid uh, both teachers and students so we're gratified by that. There is a really strong response, and we're so grateful. What, any idea how many teachers it's going to take for the demand that'll be out there? Have you guys set estimates? Well, we set estimates on how many camps we would need. Right, we think it's somewhere around fourteen hundred, and uh, to be sitting at six hundred thirty right about now is uh, really gratifying. So, and within each of those camps, it just depends how they set them up. Mike, and what student ratios they have, we're, we're paying a little bit more on a daily basis for a low student ratio that will pay teachers more. And we are really requesting that all groups seek to pay their teachers about 20% more of whatever their average salary has been. You know, if anybody deserves a summer nap, man, it is Arizona teachers. And um, they're not doing that, right? They're coming back. They want to be with their kids. They're teaching. And we really want to honor them with really strong salaries for this. 
Now, as far as curriculum goes, when doing the reading that I've been doing, the curriculum is going to be set by the programs. It's not a program that's set by the state, but there are some minimum requirements and some parameters in which they must set their curriculum, right? That's exactly right, uh, Mike. So the governor has rightfully pointed to math, literacy, and civics as primary academic areas. Camps need to offer in at least one of those areas or at credit recovery and learning behaviors in some students that just have sort of lost the ability to engage well in school or they're having behavioral issues. And that's, uh, you know, I, I have to say my adult friends are having behavioral issues after yeah. sitting on a couch, some of them who were lucky enough to for a couple of years. So this is rough. The kids have been avatars for two years. <laughs> so if they're very yeah. young, we really need to be teaching how we, how we learn. But math, civics, literacy, plus adventure. Um, so those are the parameters. The curriculum itself is totally up to the schools. The governor's office is doing a wonderful thing that I want schools and teachers to really focus on. They took a look at what were some of, nationally some of the most successful curricular programs, really fun, really engaging, and the students in those did not lose ground. And they are engaging in contracts with some of those to offer that professional development at no cost to teachers and schools. And and a number of those programs will be offering their curriculum at no cost to schools through the next school year, just so that folks can stick with it if they love it. I think the importance is this is eight weeks of opportunity this summer, but we are looking at a couple of years now where we really have to be our best ever because there has been a lot of loss, as you pointed out, and we really need to be heading in a really strong direction. So parameters for sure about what to teach, but how to do it and and offering up some real good opportunities for maybe trying out something new that's more adventurous, more fun, maybe more successful for students. Is there going to be an assessment when a, when a student gets there and then an assessment after the program is over to kind of see how much they've recovered and how much they've gained? Exactly right, Mike. So in two ways. So yes, we are asking everybody um, requiring, <laughs> asking and requiring that people put together a pretest for the goals they have set for their students and a post-test. And all of that data is going to be collected in a very professional research orientation, and it will take us a while. But that we are going to compile all of that data from each one of these camps or programs. In addition to that, we're asking each program to offer parents uh, just a, an immediate report. What did you see in this student? What would you be worried about if this student was coming to you in the fall? What is the strength that we can really capitalize on in this student? Did we see good confidence? Are we are we worried at all about interactions with kids? I think parents and the teacher who's going to receive this child in the fall will really benefit from what we're calling the Here I Come report for fall. So all of the students who participate in camp, their parents or their guardians are going to get that report um, that they can carry with them to school next fall. Lisa Graham Keegan is joining us. She is former superintendent of public schools in Arizona and is the chair of the Arizona on track summer camp program that the governor has talked about. So if parents want to inquire uh, what kind of camp they want their kids in, where to, is there a place where they can look at everything that's available? 
There will be, Mike. So let's talk a little bit about timing. Right now, the portal for all of this is all, it's an online portal. All of that is dedicated to school programs and youth programs applying. So all of our schools, we even have scouting groups offering residential overnight camps for students who've never had that opportunity. So we're really gratified by what's coming in. That's going to continue through the end of this month, March. And beginning at the end of March, uh, Mike will begin to post those camps so parents can see them. And they will continue to roll on as we approve more and more camps through the end of April. So parents can start looking at what's available in March. They can also be asking, you know, if they have a school that they love and they know they're going to be um, providing a fun summer camp, get with them and sign on. Um, Tell them you want to sign on. So you can do that without coming on the portal. You can certainly contact a youth group that you love, a a school that you love, and say, hey, are you all offering AZ on track summer camp? So parents start looking at the end of March at the AZ on track a program which is let me get this right mike it's on track.az.gov on track.az.gov and parents can start going there and and uh, start signing up in march but be advised programs are going to keep coming online so you may want to wait just a little while but if you're a school or a youth group i let's apply right now because the sooner you get up there and we get you all approved and ready to go the sooner parents are going to see you I appreciate the time this morning, and I'd love to have you come back before they start once we get into when the parents can sign up and where and talk about more about what's happening then. I'd love that, Mike. Thank you so much for the time. No, appreciate it. No, thank you so much. That is Lisa Graham Keegan, former superintendent here in Arizona of Arizona Schools, and now is heading up. She is the chair of this Arizona on track, the summer camp. So, so we'll be talking more about this as time goes on. For those of you with kids, or if you're someone out there that has a facility or a program that you'd like to be, uh, you'd like to ha- implement one of these camps. That'd be a great thing for you as well. You can jump on and do that. Coming up in a moment, um, we're going to talk about an update on a bill that was a little bit controversial to people that has to do with policing and videotaping cops on the job. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. We want to congratulate uh, Brooke Gcione who is uh, Gia Sion. I'm sorry, I apologize. Brooke's name wrong. Uh, one, $100 is part of our 100 days of giving. We are walking up to our 100th anniversary. That's happening in June. And walking up to that for 100 days, we are going to give you an opportunity to win 100 bucks each day of the week or during our weekday. And then uh, we will also let you choose a charity and we'll give them $100. She chose the New Life Center, which was her charity. For your chance to win that 100 bucks and 100 bucks for the charity, of your choice, just text the number 100 to 411923. That's the number 100 to 411923. There is a measure that made it through the Senate committee that is going out to the Senate floor that would restrict where you can videotape a police officer during a police incident. And I find this fascinating that this has become controversial or necessary. Being a safe distance away from a police um, occurrence, a police, what a situation, whatever you want to call it, makes sense. 
They keep the press a distance away from a dangerous situation. If there's a fire, the press is not right on top of the fire. Um, And it's the same thing with the police situation. It's officer safety. It's for your safety. It's for public safety. And I think the distance is like eight feet. That's not that far away. As a matter of fact, if you get too close, you're not getting a videotape of much anyway. This has a lot to do with the messaging. I want you to think of the situation. A police officer or officers are trying to affect an arrest or doing an investigation or trying to help someone. If you're right on top of them, they've got to wonder if you are after them. Situation recently with a young girl in an apartment complex where police officers were arresting four people in a stolen car. There was this young girl, I think she was 13 years old. She accosted a police officer and tried to stop this officer from arresting someone and putting them in a patrol car. And the police officer had to push this child away. First of all, you're taking your focus off of your suspect. That's dangerous. But you also don't know what that person is doing that's coming up behind you. That little girl, or she wasn't very little, that young girl turned around and then went after another police officer and ended up punching an officer in the face. Now, her crime obviously was assaulting a police officer, but there's no way in the world that that young girl should have been so close to a police officer that she can make she can make physical contact during a police situation. Name one. Name one. It is not obstructing your rights. I am a huge First Amendment advocate on all levels. Even if I don't agree with you, I will defend your First Amendment rights. This doesn't come close to violating your First Amendment rights. It doesn't come close to it. And they make a they've made a a, a, a change to this, an amendment that it doesn't mean if you're in your own vehicle. And you're you're obviously going to be within eight feet. If you've been pulled over, you can videotape what the officer says and does. And I think that's fair. Officers have body worn cameras. And so they will approach your vehicle with a camera enacted many times. And you have the right to also have your own evidence or your own, um, you know, your own. Yeah, I guess I guess it would be called evidence, but your own account of what happened. So no one is trying to restrict that. What they're trying to do is keep officers safe and keep the public safe. This seems like such a common sense thing to do, and yet it gets so blown out of proportion. The headline, Republican-backed measure to restrict filming of police officers passes a Senate committee. Now, nothing in that headline is a lie. Let's be honest. It's all true. It's backed by Republicans, and it will restrict because you can't be within eight feet. Does it really restrict your First Amendment rights at all? And the answer is no, it doesn't. You should. Common sense tells you that you need to be a safe distance away anyway. And yet in this particular bill that are in this particular headline and like many others, whether it's to grab you in to read the story or otherwise, because it goes on to explain the parameters once you're there, once you read the story. But, you know, to make it sound as if we want to restrict people videotaping police or the legislature does is foolish. That's just not true. Coming up just after 935, we're going to talk about what inflation is doing to local restaurants. The governor had a conversation with someone. We're going to talk more practically about who's being affected most by these situations of inflation and how badly it's hurting small businesses like restaurants. That's going to happen here in just a couple of moments. Strong values. 
news and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Weather's getting warmer. KTAR and Fulton Homes are reminding you that two seconds is too long to take your eyes off your kids around water. For life-saving water safety tips and to enter to win swim lessons from the YMCA, text the word SWIM to 620-620. So, um... I've talked about the restaurant industry a lot because I love it. Um, I'm one of those crazy people that would love to own a restaurant. I know it's a horrible investment and a horrible risk, and most of them fail. But I love the industry, and the reason why it is it takes both sides of your brain to run a restaurant. You have to have the creativity to design a place that is welcoming, and it's got to look beautiful, and the food has to be great, and the service has to be good. And there is a huge amount of creativity that goes into um, having a really good restaurant that people want to come to. But it you also have to have huge business sense and discipline in order to run a restaurant. And uh, I have a friend who owns some restaurants here in town, and he's a great guy, smart guy, um, and a very good businessman. And he came up with a good business model and is, is you know really doing well. We've had him on the show. We've talked to him. He owns the Hula's restaurants around town. And um, his name is Dana. And uh, we've talked about the difficulties of the industry. Well, the governor was with a Streets of New York owner in downtown Phoenix and talking about what it's like trying to run a business in today's climate. And, you know, the governor, uh, former head of Cold Stone Creamery, knows a thing or two about building a business. And they had this conversation. And this is part of an ABC 15 story. There was Governor Doug Ducey with Streets of New York owner Lori Glazer. A tour of a restaurant came with the meal along with a conversation on how business is going. I think that listening of what's on your mind, what are the issues, and how can we be helpful in removing the obstacles is is something that I get out of these, and I go back to the state capitol, a smarter and wiser governor. Streets of New York employs 370 people. Some of those employees have worked with the company for decades, but supply chain issues, the rising cost of ingredients in general, and higher rents at some locations are having an impact. There are not as many Streets of New York restaurants in the Valley these days. I have 14 currently. I've had to close four this year. After surviving the pandemic, the impact of inflation on Glazer's business is akin to a punch in the gut. Mind you, I never complained about paying taxes ever before, but it's making my profitability of my company so much less. Well, I think small business owners need consistency and they need predictability. And if you look at what we've done here in Arizona with the tax structure, and this is my, this is the philosophical difference that I have. This is a small business owner. Now she owns a bunch of restaurants, so people may consider, oh, she's, look at her, she's wealthy. And this is a hardworking person that's had to close four of her restaurants this year and is saying taxation is killing my small business. And there is an element in our society that ran and pushed to tax people exactly like her and increase their taxes on the backside of COVID-19 to the tune of 70 plus percent with Prop 208. To me, that is oppressive. That is, um, it's horrible. It's a horrible thing to do. We know that in Washington, D.C. right now, the president's agenda, if we are ever to get the Biden financial tax structure put in place, would remove the tax cuts, not just for big corporations, for corporations, for the corporate tax rate would go back up to an oppressive level. Just like you, the individual, you're looking at how do I fill my gas tank? How do I fill my refrigerator? 
Now, when your taxes go up on top of everything else you're paying, you're going to be furious at the government. Why is it okay to do this to the average business owner? Inflation is a tax that you can't change anything about. You have to navigate. We can control as voters the people we elect that control what we tax each other. For the people in this world that are the tax the rich, punish the rich mentality, they're they're never going to comprehend anything except they have a lot of money, we can take some of it, or we can take most of it. And there are a lot of people, which I don't understand, that are wealthy, that are in that camp. There was a a land developer here that ran for the Senate years ago, and uh, one of his, uh, and this was during the time of the Bush tax cuts. And he was given a tax cut, and he was a major land developer, a multimillionaire, had given money to causes, Democratic causes, for years and years and years, and decided that he was going to run for office and run for the United States Senate. And in one of his speeches here in Arizona, he said, I got a, and I I don't remember the exact number, but it was in the tens of thousands, I got a $38,000 tax cut that I didn't need. And that's the way he put it. I I got a tax cut that I didn't need. And I thought, A, I guarantee you, you didn't write that check back to the federal government, and you can. Everyone out there that tells, talks about this, attacks the rich that are already rich themselves, spend millions of dollars on accountants to do their taxes to pay as little as they owe, which I don't blame them. That's what everybody should do. But lead by example if you believe that to be true. If you're sitting on $50 million and they take 25, you still have $25 million. I'm not calling it right, but your lifestyle is not changing much. What we are doing to small business owners and what we've done here in Arizona in helping them stay afloat by keeping taxes low has attracted small business. Small business is still the lifeblood of our economy and the entrepreneurial spirit. It's kind of like home ownership. If you think about what home ownership means to you, I don't think, you know, a 14,000 square foot mansion with tennis courts and a swimming pool and a jacuzzi. That's not what I think of. I think I bought a home. I bought a home a few years ago. And that to me is the is the American dream. And for a lot of business owners, it's the same way. When you say you want to own your own business, you're not someone that wants to become a corporate baron. Some people do. Some people become, you know, barons of industry. But for a lot of people, it's just carving your own niche in an industry and being able to establish a business that working hard, you can build your own wealth and build your own financial security. And we punish the heck out of people if it were if that Prop 208 hadn't been um Deemed unconstitutional because and it tells you how much money it took from the taxpayers because it violated how much money you're allowed to spend on education. If that had not gone by the wayside on top of covid-19 on top of the supply chain issues where, let's say, in her industry, pizza boxes are stuck in a in a box in a trailer somewhere on a ship coming from China. So you can't get the supplies you need. And then the ones you can get are much more expensive. All of those things going up, plus your personal finances are going up, but you're home with gas prices and everything else on top of that Arizona would have taxed her business probably another 70% plus this is why I think that when we stop with just the politics because obviously it has part to do with my political beliefs but when we stop with just the politics and, <clears throat> and have a conversation about the reality of what it does to people the politics go by the wayside and common sense prevails even if you're someone that believes if you're wealthy you should pay a higher percentage which I don't agree with 
But how can you agree with the timing? How can you agree with raising taxes on people, any people, right now? It doesn't make sense to me on any level whatsoever. Coming up in a moment, um, we're going to talk about, guess who's back? Dr. Fauci is back. What they're saying and what they're warning of and a little review of something we did yesterday when we talked to the chief advisor on COVID-19, Dr. Carmona, with Governor Ducey. We'll do that coming up here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Dr. Fauci had disappeared for quite a while. The reason why I'm talking about this is they have a new variant that is here in the U.S. They are expecting a rise in cases. What's going to happen? We had Dr. Carmona on yesterday. Richard Carmona is the, he was the Surgeon General of the U.S. He is now the chief advisor, the head advisor to the governor's office when it comes to COVID-19. He was on with us yesterday. We had word out. We heard the head of Pfizer say it days ago that they believe that a fourth dose will be necessary. That would be a second booster. Two doses, then a booster. Then another booster. So I asked Dr. Carmona, what are the chances we're going to need a fourth booster in the future? As of this week, there's not enough evidence to strongly support that yet, except that many of the scientists and clinicians are thinking that if we do this, probably the the extra booster will be best served by giving it to the high-risk population. Seniors and those who have chronic diseases, because we're seeing that the immunity seems to be dropping again after the last booster after maybe four, five, six months. So we don't know exactly what's going to happen. And I'm going to get to a little bit of Fauci on CNN in a moment. But we've been hearing fact checkers, right? We all know that you get warning signs now if you use the word COVID on social media and you post something that a lot of times before anybody can read it, there's something covering your post that says either we've proven this is false information or there may be false information in here. Do you still want to see this post? Fact checkers, fact checkers, fact checkers. Well, we know from the data, at least I know from the data that the oldest among us, older people, are affected the most and the most severely by COVID-19. The data has been proving that almost since day one. The president was in an event and was exposed and around somebody that may have COVID-19. And I think this is what uh, the press secretary, Jen Psaki, is addressing and uh, COVID-19. This is this is, of course, you tell me if this should be fact checked. If a president at 79 years old, president of the United States, were to get COVID, might be more serious than, you know, somebody in their 20s? Well, we, we don't know that. Right. Um, we but we also know that COVID impacts people of all ages and uh, and a range of, but when we take what we do here, Jen, is not, not exactly as you said, so I wouldn't agree with your description there. I would say we do take extra precautions. All right. So before I defend this with actual science and numbers, we all know that's a lie, right? I mean, you understand that that wasn't a mistake. That was a lie. When she says we don't know that it affects older people more than it does people in their 20s, that's a lie. Before I defend it with numbers, this is what Fauci said about the possibility of boosters. We only have about 50% of the eligible people in this country who are eligible to be boosted with a third shot of mRNA are boosted, particularly if they are eligible or fall under a category of being vulnerable. I don't think there's any doubt that sooner or later, particularly among the elderly who have less of a robust immune response than a normal younger population, that sooner or later they will need a boost of a fourth shot. 
Isn't that funny that that Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, with a straight face said to a reporter, we don't know that older people are affected more adversely than younger people. I am going to give you some data very quickly and tell you why this is such a horrible thing to say from the White House press secretary. And where's the outrage? Where's the outrage for that misinformation? Let's just go back with the past week. In the past week. There were 1,360 new cases of people under the age of 20, 1,300. There were only 856 over the age of 65. So more than a little more than half, but far less, 500 less cases, 500 less cases, people under the over the age of 65. There was one new hospitalization of people under the age of 20 and one new death recorded. And that death was the first in about a month of people under the age of 20. People over the age of 65, 63% of the hospitalizations, the number was 191 out of 301 and 79% of the deaths. There were 364 deaths out of 457 were people over the age of 65. So I I just want to, this is a mix of topics, and I understand that. We keep hearing about fact checkers. Anybody out there that's ever said the word hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin, you are deemed a conspiracy theorist. You're blocked on social media. You've had your social media accounts either stopped or, and you're just a, a layperson. You're just a citizen that's either asking a question or making a statement about what you believe or what you've seen. You say, hey, listen, my, my grandfather or my uncle or my dad or somebody else was given a regimen of these drugs and it worked well for them, like what you saw Dana White from the UFC say what you saw Joe Rogan say they are deemed conspiracy theorists and spreading misinformation the White House press secretary just said to a reporter that we don't know that COVID-19 affects older people more than it does somebody in their 20s because that's the way the question was asked the reporter said President of the United States, 79 years old, gets COVID, could be more adversely affected than somebody that was in their 20s. The initial response on the White House press secretary was, we don't know that. And that's a lie. That's a lie coming from the White House press secretary. So you want a guy that uh, made people eat bugs in a television show and does a podcast, and he's the one that's dangerous to America, but the White House press secretary can tell a just a, a flat-out lie to the American people about COVID-19. And, and no one, there's no, there's no uh, silencing her. She's not going to be fired or suspended. She's not going to have her social media account suspended. So the freedom of speech angle here is one of them. The other part of this is the information that they want to give you is a narrative versus the science. When I talk about this, I give out the science. This is what the numbers say. The numbers say the death percentages are much higher now than they were in weeks past. But they also are saying this next variant of this is going to be more contagious and less severe. That's the science. I'm not looking for a victory anywhere. And so this is what happens with misinformation. And when they start telling you that it's dangerous, who's dangerous? It's dangerous to their narrative is what it is. Coming up just after 10 o'clock, we go back to Russia versus Ukraine. There is new information and an update. And we'll talk about China as well. All is that is next.